The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Through the streets of Lexington, through the streets of Lancaster, Kentucky, through the streets of Harrodsburg, through the streets of through the streets of Malaysia, through the streets of Japan, through the streets of the Czech Republic, through the streets of Mexico, through the streets of Illinois and Florida and Indiana. Do you get the vision? And that run to and fro through the streets of wherever you, God has placed you and see now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a woman. If there is one who executes justice. Now how many? 150. Right. Before you can have God move, you have to have 150 at least. Is that what it says? You have to have at least 1,000. No. How many does it say? One. How many? One. Okay. Run to and fro through the streets of Wilmore, Kentucky, or wherever you are from. See now and know and seek in her open places. If you can find a woman, one woman, and if there is anyone who, and there's some qualifications to this one, if she will execute justice, that she does what's right, and if she will seek truth, and if you can find one woman like that, I will pardon the city. Though they say as the Lord lives, they surely swear falsely. The problem is God couldn't find one in Jeremiah's day. And so judgment was coming upon Jerusalem, even though it was the holy city. Judgment was coming upon Jerusalem because he couldn't find one that would fit the qualifications of seeking truth and doing what was right. And he found lots of people, it says in verse 2, who said, always the Lord lives. And surely they swear falsely that they talked God talk, but they didn't walk the walk. Know anybody like that? And he says, and they said, oh Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them. Because sooner or later, our lies will catch up with us in our life. And there will be a God will come to try to bring us face to face with the living reality of his truth and his moral excellence. And you and I delude ourselves if we think we can live a lie. So he says, God comes to us. And do you know what would be worse than living in a world with pain is living in a world without pain. Because it is when God comes to us that you and I build our lives on lies, build our lives on not doing what is right, but doing what is convenient or what is what I want to do instead of what is right, that God comes to us because it is a dead-end street and if it goes its natural course, you will damn your soul and I will damn mine. And we will damn those we love along with us. So he says, I've stricken them, but they haven't been grieved. I have tried to consume them, but they have refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Therefore, I said, surely these are the poor. They are the foolish ones. 
for they don't know the way of God, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of God. So Jeremiah is looking for that one, and he says, well, the rich, the poor don't have it, but they, don't, they are educated. They don't. So let's go to the rich and see, and the leadership and see. But he said, but these have all together broken the oak. The leadership and the rich are worse off than the poor. They have burst their bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings have increased. And you have the book of Jeremiah who is called the weeping prophet as he has to bring the judgment of God on the people of God because they refuse to repent. But it could have been so different. If God could have found even one that could have stood in the gap for those people and that they could, their hearts could have been turned. Now, I believe that's our challenge for the summer because there's an incredible thing that God can do with one person. In Scripture, five different places in Scripture, God talks about the value of one individual who gets a clean heart and begins to do a walk in obedience to Jesus Christ and begins to do what is right no matter what it costs them and begins to walk in truth and puts aside all lies. It's in Isaiah 50, Isaiah 63, Isaiah 59, Jeremiah 5, and then the beautiful verse in Ezekiel 22:30, where he says, I sought for a woman among them who would stand in the breach and stand in the gap, but I found none. Now, I don't know why it is that God puts himself together in partnership with you and with me. You think he's God. Couldn't he just save the world all in one swoop? But that's not how God does it. And God sent his son, and he did it in partnership with the Lord Jesus himself. And then if your world and my world is going to be one, he needs you and he needs me. And he needs us to get in a relationship with him, a love relationship with him, so you know what happens in your heart and my heart. We get God's spirit in our life enough that it breaks through our mindset so there comes into your life and my life, I begin to care about someone more than us four and no more. And without the presence and reality of Jesus Christ and the fullness of his Holy Spirit in your life and my life, we don't care. There's nobody else in your world and my world but just me. And there's no one else in your world or my world but just you. And the bottom line for anyone's agenda that hasn't been touched by grace and who has not been touched by the Holy Spirit and died to self is there's nobody in your world or my world but me. And we'll spiritualize it. We'll talk about God talk. But we do not come down to the bottom line. We need to die to our self-will so that Jesus Christ can indwell us and empower us and he can use your life as a homemaker, as a wife, as a mother, as a career woman. He can use you wherever you are to transform the world in which you live. Well, where do I live? I live in a neighborhood. I live in Broadhurst Manor. Praise Jesus. He's got one beachhead for him in Broadhurst Manor. 
That's what all this is all about. You say, I'm just an ordinary person. That's exactly what God uses. What did he have in those 12 disciples? Ordinary people. Who was the one he came to first after he was resurrected? A little woman that had seven demons cast out of her. And she was the one that had a heart for Jesus and never left. She left and came back. She was there first early in the morning because she knew what it was to walk with the evil one and then she knew what it was to walk with God. Now, I'm asking you today, and I believe Jesus wants to say it to us in a way we've never understood before, that God is looking for women that will stand in the gap if no one else stands where you are. And then he is asking if you and I would begin to pray that God would put another woman that's willing to stand in the gap so that there's two, so that when you're down or you're not seeing quite correctly, she can say, wait a minute, Beth Coppage, you need to let me do God do something in your life. And you know what? We need each other. Because God's looking for one who will be willing to stand in the gap, but incredible potential and power for the kingdom of God to tear down the enemy's strongholds. Come, do you know what happened? So when we get two together. Remember what it says in Matthew 18? Where, where God, where he talks about Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask in my name, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's why we're doing Operation Transformation, some of us this summer. Because when something happens, when you and I get together with one another, even if it's one other, Jesus shows up with new power. And there's something that happens when it's Jesus and you and one other, that there comes a strength from the power and presence of God that when, when we pray together in that way, whatsoever we bind together on earth can be bound, and whatsoever we release on earth can be released. So that as we get together and pray, there can become p- tremendous potential and power to say, Jesus, we're meeting together once a week to intercede so that the enemy will be bound from our nation. And that that the devil intends to do, he will not be able to do. Bind the power of the enemy and release the spirit of Jesus. And there can come power in that way to do it, it for our nation, to do it in our community, to do it in our churches, to do it in our families, to do it in our marriages, to do it in our relatives, that God's spirit can begin to come. Now, I read in Decision Magazine, and maybe some of you have read it as well this past month. It talks about, there's a tremendous article in there on Joe Aldridge on prayer. And it's a tremendous Bible study on prayer. But one of the little side um, stories was about a fellow who said he came in at night. And he came in... um, 
he, he was a teenager. He was a, had, there were, my mother had three sons. And so he remembers coming in late at night, at, way too late, and he got into, unlocked the door and was sneaking in the living room and looked, and there was his little mother on her knees praying. And he said, I just hated it. And I felt so guilty. And that little woman, he said, found Jesus when I was eight years old. And she began to go to church. She loved Jesus. She just went, she just loved him with all her heart. She began to write to the televangelist that I think she'd found the Lord through the televangelist. She found, she wrote and she got to Acts where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So she wrote to the televangelist and said, what does that mean? He said, you can believe for your whole family to be saved. Well, his little mother didn't just believe that his, the immediate family would be saved. She claimed all the relatives. And she began to pray consistently every single day for everybody in the family. The son that was out so late at night grew up to be an ardent Christian. Ended up going into the army. And while he was in the army, he said, well, I better begin to do what mother did. And so he began to go to the base chapel and pray. And, and as he began to pray every day in the base chapel, God began to move and 25 guys began to find Jesus. He now works with navigators and is head of their prayer ministry. He said, it all happened in the heart of my mother. He said, a few months ago, I sat down with my mother or, or a while back and he said, we sat down and went through every single member of our family that had found Jesus Christ since she had begun praying. And there were 45. Said two of them, two grandparents on their deathbed or right before they died, and one uncle who had been in a cult three weeks before he died. There was one little woman who stood in the gap, and when she gets to eternity, there are 45 family members in heaven because of one little woman. And the devil will lie to us, and he will say, you don't count. You don't have an ABC and a PhD and an MD and XYZ. And you can say, no, I don't, but it doesn't matter. Because all I have to do is have a heart that is obedient to Jesus Christ, that walks in justice and does what's right, that is willing to obey him and is willing to base my life on truth as much as I know it. And out of that kind of life, God can begin to work. And I think that Jesus wants to turn the world upside down, and I think he can do it with women just like you and I, just little homemakers. Wives, mothers, whatever God's put you, God can use you if you get white hot for God to turn your world upside down. And he can do it just because you are an available vessel that he can flow through and reach the lost. So he says, that's one of the reasons we bind together so that you and I can have the spiritual power to be able to say enough is enough. Do you know any people today that have just, the devil has just had in a circus for years that God is laying on the, your heart, that you said that case is absolutely hopeless? Are they people that are on your 10 most wanted list for Operation Transformation? Don't give up. Don't give up. Be like that little mother and say, no, I am not going to give up. Or that other little mother who said, my son's died and said, no, he can't have died. You've made a mistake. He hasn't found the Lord yet. And the War Department was wrong. You and I need to have that kind of audacity to come to the Holy God and say, Jesus, we are willing to stand in the gap. Now, remember one of my, one of my key verses for this year? 
is Luke 18, 1. Women ought always to pray and not to faint. If you and I begin to make this kind of commitment to say, Jesus, I am only one, and I'm an only ordinary one, but Jesus, I am available for your Holy Spirit, all of me for all of you. And I want to be available any way you want to use me, wherever you put me. Do you know what will happen? You're going to get some gas. Turn over to James 4. Any of you that have signed Operation Transformation, any of you that have made new commitments to Jesus Christ, any of you that have prayed this year to be filled with the Holy Spirit or have prayed to find Jesus as your Savior, you already know what I'm talking about. But some of you may be just beginning, or some of us get, get used to it, but then we forget that our enemy is a roaring lion, as 1 Peter says, seeking whom we may devour. And I want to just have us look at first James 4. The end of James 3 talks about wisdom. In verse 15, it says, that in verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You say, Beth, what does that mean? It means that there is a wisdom that comes from the evil one, and wisdom that comes from the evil one is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Put that on one side of your mind. There is a wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit that is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Is that not good for marriages? Is that not good for teenagers? <laughs> willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Okay. For chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Our disagreements with one another. Do they not come from our desires for pleasure that war in our members? We lust, we don't like to call it that, and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. It doesn't mean you may kill someone. It may mean hatred in your heart and my heart. You fight and war, yet you do not have what you want or what I want because we don't ask God for it. And we do not receive it because when we do ask God for it, we ask amiss because we want to spend it on our special pleasures. Adulterers and adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of God so that he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another. 
He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? You say, what is this all talking about? We have the context of wisdom, the devil's wisdom, the world's wisdom, the wisdom of the world. We have the wisdom of God. Then we say, why, what happens that causes disunity in the hearts and lives of believers and families and nations? What happens to cause disunity is because there's lust in each of our hearts that wants what I want when I want it. And that we are willing, we fight, we manipulate, we covet, and we don't ask God for our needs to be met. We try to meet our own needs. A perfect description of a carnal Christian or the carnal mind. And he says, you and I are like adulterers when we're like this, and adulteresses that we're married. We say that we love Jesus Christ. We say we love our husband, but we have an affair on the side. And he says, I am a jealous God, and there needs to come in your life and my life if God is going to use us to stand in the gap for any people or any family member or anybody. You and I have to come that we do not have a double mind. We have to come. There's one mind in our heart and in our life, and it's the mind of Jesus Christ, so that we are not adulterers and say, oh, I love Jesus. But then in our hearts, what we really love is something entirely different. We love ourselves. We love our roses. We love our pleasures. We love our books. We love our kids. We love our, our, our things. We love security and a good bank account. And we lie. And we lie to ourselves, and we try to lie to God. And we'll appear very religious, but the bottom line for you and I is we have a divided heart, and God knows it, and you know it. When you get alone in the dark night of your soul, you know, I am a liar and an adulterer at heart. Jesus Christ is no more Lord of my life than the man in the moon. And there needs to come a reality before we break this summer. Do you and I have a divided heart? Is there, has there come a place in my life where I have said, Jesus, if I perish, I perish, I will surrender all to you. Now, what happens, though, if we make that decision to say, Jesus, and I think of it, I remember when it happened in my life. It was like, you know, those big wharfs out at the ocean. And so they go way out. So it's out over deep ocean, the dark, dark blue ocean. And, all, and I think because God's so big, and it's like you run off the wharf and just say, Jesus, it looks to me like I'm going to drown from here, but just jump into the bigness of who Jesus is. And do you know what? You don't just go down. He just scoops you up and holds you tight to who he is, and life begins, and the best fun you will ever have is when you totally sell out to who Jesus is. I mean, you just can't believe it. And so... If you and I make that decision, so we say, Jesus, all of you for all of me, and we, we total surrender to him, take that last toe off the bottom of the swimming pool and trust ourselves to Jesus Christ, then there's some recourse when the enemy comes. He says he gives more grace. Verse 6, no matter what he calls us to or what circumstance we are in, if we're not handling it, he gives more grace. He, he deals with our hearts if we will submit to him. He cannot help the proud and arrogant who are trying to do it in their own strength. 
He can only help those that are humble and broken and say, Jesus, I am in over my head. I need your help and submit to him. He can help us so that when the enemy comes with his barrage and sabotage tactics, we can resist the devil. And it says he has to flee from us. Just say, I just, Jesus, come. I just resist the enemy. I resist these responses that I've given for years. Lord, change my responses. Do something and give me godly responses. And then he says, you can draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And as you and I come under this special attack from the enemy or a special time of trial or tribulation, over and over again, I go to James 4 and say, Lord, give me more grace. Lord, I'm drawing my heart to you. Lord, I resist everything the evil one sends in, but I receive everything that is from your love hand, loving hand to me. And Lord, then I draw near to him and then I say, Jesus, is there any sin in my hands? Is there any sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? And then he says, let me, is, does my, is my heart divided on any score? Do I need you to purify my heart? So that what this becomes is an inventory for the Christian heart and the Christian life as you and I enter into the battle that God's calling us to. And then he said, if there's any sin there or anything that would grieve the heart of God, lament. Don't go another minute until you and I become right before the eternal God. And he says, don't speak evil of anyone. Are people safe as safe out of our presence as they are in our presence? Is everything that we say in our mouths, if that person was sitting right there or came in unexpectedly, could we just keep on talking? Amy Carmichael said people should be as safe that are away from us. They should be as safe as if they were right there talking to us one on one. God wants to move in so that he transforms even our tongues, our minds, our whole spirits, our being. Now if you and I begin to sell out like some of you have to Jesus Christ, you're going to need this passage of scripture. You're going to need it. And you're going to need it. There are times that the pressure is going to come as you leave or as you go into the summer. And if you have just made recently or in this past year a decision for Jesus to do something, that, to allow God to do something new in your life, the enemy is going to come in to try to sabotage what God has done. And he is sometimes so sneaky, he comes as an angel of light and you cannot see him. Now, I want to give you a case in point, a personal testimony. This has happened since we met last Wednesday. We met last Wednesday and what did we have? A whole thing on prayer. Look, all these different prayer groups that have gone out. These are one, our missionaries worldwide. And these are the ones that are being established here to pray this summer. So there's a whole thrust on prayer. And last week was a precious week. But do you know what began to happen Thursday? All kinds of confusion and chaos began to occur on the home front. And I was tired. And I was caught off guard. I didn't have my dukes up. 
and and Ichthus was on and Susanna was going here and going there and we were all going everywhere and, and and I just and I ended up we ended up going late at night to pick up Susanna and going so we start with a prayer thrust for early morning prayer Friday guess who slept through it <laughs> so that I get a, a, a very sweet reminder from someone said so we're starting operation prayer th- summer thrust and where were you at early morning prayer? <laughs> I said, well, because I was up late, you know. I said, well, so I missed. So then I started into the weekend, never dawning on me that maybe some of this confusion and craziness was because of the special assault from the evil one. It didn't even enter my mind. We go through the weekend, busy, you know, like uh, having quiet time, talking to Jesus, you know. Sunday afternoon, everything was fine, except someone called, that was a close loved one, and they were preaching on the west coast to 1,500 people Sunday night. Could you lift us up in prayer? Oh, yes. Saturday. Yes, could. So I began to pray. And then Linda Boya was doing her retreat. She had her Bible study, the one in Ohio, and then it's birth one Bible study, and then there's another one in the... Amish Mennonite community and they wanted her to go after the one to the other she says can you pray can you get the women to pray well did I call all of you no so Sunday afternoon with these challenges to pray plus our own challenges I got home from church and I should have been full of the joy of Jesus and I begin to get supper and all of us lunch and all of a sudden I got some wisdom that was not from above. Well, you work so hard for this family, and here you are fixing Sunday dinner, and really, if the truth were known, they should be fixing it for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I am just not appreciated the way I should be. This went through my mind. And did 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 I think of Slewfoot? No. I thought, that is the truth. And then I got crosser. And we got that on, and I was, and they said, Mama, what did we do? Well, I didn't know what they did. That's, like, there's no incident. Just out of the blue, this oppression descended, and I was just mad at the whole crew. Have you ever been like that? Did I recognize this slow foot yet? No. No. And how long have I walked with God? Or tried to. Uh, forgive me. But, but I've known, but I, but you know what I mean. But then, <laughs> but then, so then, to make bad worse, then I, I was supposed to pray with someone that afternoon. And, uh, which is a beautiful thing that I love to do it on Sunday afternoon. Well, I began to cry. And I just, and then I noticed every unclean room in my house that my ironing was up to the ceiling, that it was Sunday, I couldn't do anything, that my clothes weren't right. And that everything in my life was on the skid. I mean, it was a downhill drag the whole way. And I just could not stop crying. And I called that person and said, I'm stuck. Because wisdom from the evil one came again. What a disaster to go pray with someone today. What a testimony you would be. You better stay home till you get yourself together. And you get your act together. Have you ever heard that? So I call, and the very thing that would have changed the whole situation around, I stopped. 
And I said, I'm sorry, just I'm too busy, I can't pray. And I thought, well, that's funny. Still stupid as can be. Monday, all that got up, had devos. The oppression wasn't as horrible as Sunday, but it was still there Monday. And began a very frayed day, like with nerves frayed. And never did just sit down and pray for what was going on in Ohio. Halfway through the afternoon, I get this frantic call from Ohio. We had our group, and twice while I was teaching the lesson, the church secretary came and said the children were dropping out of the windows. And could we please come stop them? What they were doing was opening the window, and the church secretary didn't like the children there. She interrupted twice. I had to leave the teaching and go take care of the children and the secretary. Came back, began again, and my two boys had a fight. I had to stop teaching and go stop my two boys from fighting. She said, talk about the most horrible nightmare experience you've ever had. Were you praying? <laughs> yeah, while well, I did the dishes and while I cried and while I felt sorry for myself, no. She said, would you please call some of those women to pray for me? I do not want to go tonight. I said, well, I can't blame you. And, but difficult, even with that, I did call some of you, and you began to pray. Do you know it was so difficult to pray for her that night? We had a group in our house that I had to write down her name, just write it and say, Jesus, help her, Jesus, help her, Jesus, help her, and, and just keep. It was so hard to pray for her. When the last person left our house, and about 10 o'clock at night, I had one more phone call to talk to somebody, and they said, Bet, all of a sudden, my spirit was light as a feather. And I called, and this gal said, What has happened to you? Your spirit's been in the pits for all weekend, and you're as light as a feather. And it just hit me. And I did. I just felt light as a feather. And I could have prayed almost all night, probably. In the middle of the night, Jesus woke me up. And do you know what he said to me? Elizabeth Coppage, the enemy sabotaged you. The minute all the spiritual warfare was over, the meetings were over, the preaching was done, the people that were on the line depending on your prayers, the minute the battles were raged or lost, won or lost, then... Then you were able to kick into the program. But while the battle raged, you played right into the hand of the enemy. And you let him oppress and depress your spirit and be fill you with self-pity and fill you with all kinds of worldly wisdom that you could never even witness your clothes were night. You couldn't do this. You had too much laundry. You couldn't do that. And he said, you, you were absolutely ineffective for me because you let the enemy talk you into total lie. And I said, Lord, I was. I was totally sabotaged all weekend long. I said, Jesus, what do I do? He said, ask me to forgive you and praise the Lord. It isn't dependent on one person. But there were other people praying. And I talked to Ohio last night, and she said, 
the other women God used in their prayers because she said Jesus came in last night. She said there was an anointing. I, I couldn't even believe what I was saying. I wanted to take notes. I thought, Jesus, this is so good. And she said when I finished, they were wide open and they just said, well, let to tell us how, the, how we can make Jesus Lord in our lives, just in the big group. They just said, how do we give him all of us for all of him? Could you just tell us? I'm not there. They just kept saying. So she spent the evening with her little prayer partner. The two of them just prayed with women to find Jesus. Because somebody else picked up the gun. But we are in warfare. So if the enemy comes in like that, what I should have done as the first cloud began to depress, or at least when I began to get those thoughts, well, I just deserve better treatment than this. I should have immediately detected this is straight from hell. And the enemy is trying to wipe me out of the water and fill me with self-pity, self-love, self, 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 self. And instead, I need to come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, you can give me grace for the laundry. You can give me grace for teenagers. You can give me grace. And Lord, I submit myself to you. Lord, I humble myself to you before you. Please, Jesus, in Jesus' name, I resist the devil. And you send into our family only what comes from your hand. Take away all the confusion and all the chaos. And Jesus, I draw near to you. Cleanse my heart and forgive me for all the sin that I have committed that has made me ineffectual for what was on your heart for this weekend. You and I, if God's calling you into Operation Transformation, if he is calling you, more importantly, to be a woman with an undivided heart, we need to be aware when the enemy of light comes with his subtle, envy, self-seeking, confusing, evil ways. And we need to say, that is not from God. I, will, I refuse it. And that we need to let God move into our hearts so that what flows out of our lives is we resist the enemy so we can stand in the gap for those whose very lives depend on it. So that out of our lives flow wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and full of good fruits, without partiality or hypocrisy. Now, I want to close with one thing. I found this this morning. I think it says it better than I do. I felt the Lord led me to it. One full hour of prayer every day. I was in my surgical residency training in Berkeley, California when I first began to think seriously about prayer. It was wartime. I knew that shortly I'd be going overseas leaving my wife Dorothy for many months and I wished I could be going into it all with a strong prayer life. Dorothy and I recited bedtime prayers but I had to admit that my life didn't have any power and made no impact at all for Jesus Christ. I began to study the sailing area of my life. First of all, how much time did I spend each day in prayer? 15 minutes? 10? I decided that I should know. I pulled out my stopwatch and I timed myself. The total prayer with a few PSs lasted 40 seconds. Could, could this be the answer to the vagueness and dryness of my life as a Christian? I went to the library and took out every book I could find about men for whom God had been a pulsing, living reality. Don't you love that? 
the biographies of Martin Luther, of John Wesley, of D.L. Moody, of John Calvin, and of others, I discovered that every one of those men had prayed at least an hour a day. For these men, prayer had been an essential ingredient of life. But what about people in the hectic 20th century? What about me? Could I, starting here and now, spend an hour every day praying? As a resident surgeon, I had to be at the hospital and on wards at 7 in the morning. I rarely finished before midnight. Where in a schedule like that could I find a spare hour? Not at bedtime, certainly. I was much too dead to stay awake. But only the early morning was left. I would have to set the alarm for 5.30 instead of 6. Could I do it? Could I force myself out of bed? If I did, would I still be able to function at the hospital? I didn't know, and there was no way to find out unless I did, uh, tried it. So I settled on a two-week experiment to see if the plan was worthwhile. The night before I began, I put the alarm clock across the room so I'd have to get out of bed to shut it off. In what seemed a moment the alarm clock went off, I thought I must have said it wrong, I stumbled over to it and it discovered it really was 5.30. The sky was ink black, the apartment was cold as a tomb, and I had a great thought. With just a few moments more sleep, I know I could pray much more effectively. <laughs> However, I knew if I got back into bed, I would never make it. I felt my way into the dark living room, switched on a light, and knelt in front of my sofa and started to pray. I prayed for my family, my friends, my patients, the doctors at the hospital, the doctors at other hospitals, doctors who didn't have any hospitals, our country, our soldiers, our enemy, their soldiers, all the missionaries I knew, both of them. At last, I looked at my watch, and only 20 minutes had gone by. How in the world could someone pray, learn long enough to pray about, could find out something to pray about for an hour? I went back over the whole list in more detail, and at last, the 60 minutes crawled past. I was exhausted. Sound familiar? At noon in the hospital's operating room, I felt enormously sleepy. I could see the headlines, surgeon falls asleep at operating table. However, I did not fall asleep, and it was a surprisingly good day. When the alarm went off at 5.30 the next morning, I really was tired. It was much tougher than the first day. I got up half intending to turn the alarm off and tumble back into bed. But instead of picking up the clock, my hand grabbed a hairbrush and one of the bristles struck under my nail. I woke up with a start. So I had my hour of prayer and was able to continue for the 14 days. At the end of two weeks, I took inventory. I had not died as I had expected. In fact, I hadn't even gotten sick. Looking back, I realized that in many ways they had been inexplicably good days. Somehow, after the first two or three days, I seemed to feel wider awake on five hours of sleep than on six. My work at the hospital had gone well. It had proved to be a great blessing. I had seen a division in my church healed. I decided to continue. Weeks stretched into months and then to half a year. God was not only becoming real to me, was becoming the meaning in all my reality. 
It was not becoming real. It was becoming the meaning of all my reality. And the hour which had started out seeming so long now became more and more precious. My whole life, in fact, was different. And I knew the investment of time of praying was paying off. But Jesus had more for me. God lets us enjoy him in secret only so long. Then he wants uh, the secret shared. Eight months after I began my prayer experiment, I got a call to duty with the Marine Corps. As soon as I finished the year of residency, I was inducted. A group of us arrived for basic training at Camp Pendleton at 5 in the summer morning. I stood in the door of the barracks looking down rows of double bunks where 10 doctors and 45 officers would be sleeping. Where would I find a quiet hour for prayer or a quiet place? I realized the early morning hour would be difficult. I could not use an alarm clock in the middle of 50 sleeping Marines. I located my bunk and tried to picture myself kneeling beside it. It was the lower one. The guy above was 240 pounds if he were an ounce. Suppose he got out of the bed in the dark and stepped on my neck and killed me. (laughs) This is something that other worldly wisdom. I'd expected we'd be given that first day to get settled, but at dawn we were lined up and marched out on a 10-hour hike. All the way, I told myself, God didn't care where I kne- whether I knelt or not. I could pray in bed with the covers over my head just as well as I could pray on my knees. God only looked at the heart. We were almost back in camp before I knew I wasn't worried about God at all. He didn't care what position I prayed in. I was the one who cared. I didn't want that room full of men to see me on my knees. And, it, and once I realized that, I knew it would be kneel or nothing. We got back to the barracks after dinner and the lights stayed on. Nine o'clock, 9.30, no one made a move for bed. I knew if I didn't pray soon, I'd fall asleep sitting up in my bunk. Finally, I mustered all my courage, got down on my knees and prayed. The barracks had a wooden floor and I could hear the boots of men passing my bunk on their way to the washroom. Boom, boom, boom. Then an abrupt halt as they saw me. Boom, boom. Two steps backward to make sure they were seen correctly. I shut out the sound effects (laughs) as best I could and prayed like mad. The funny thing was that after the first night, it was still difficult. I took ribbing, but the men began to watch every single move I made. They were watching to see if prayer really worked. We were about to soon ship to the island of Maui, our unit's first stop on the way to Iwo Jima. It was there that I, who a year earlier would have died at the thought of sharing Jesus Christ with the Marines in public, starting holding public worship services. We held them in the movie theater because that was where the 2,000 men gathered night after night. We started 20 minutes before the show began. On the first night, 200 first-time commitments were made to Jesus Christ. Before we left Maui, 510 Marines came to Jesus, and the whole attitude, language, and action of our whole base changed. No longer could one say my prayer time had made no difference. 
We put on a picture show at meetings on Guadalcanal, Okinawa, and Guam. Time and again, without design or explanation on my part, I would find myself at a place or with a person with whom God was working. Perhaps the chief thing that happened when I got down on my knees that first night was that I decided to put Jesus Christ first in my life, indeed, as well as word. I learned to pray in San Francisco and learned the importance of allowing Christ to be Lord in my life in Camp Pendleton in San Diego. These two things have filled my life with joy. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. My prayer became in a small way that I might be such a man. Let's pray. Jesus, we just praise you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the precious privilege of walking with Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we pray today, if there's any who's still deciding whether they will love you with all their heart, all their life, all their strength, and all their soul, Lord, that even in this moment, this would be the hour. That Jesus, that divided heart, would become undivided, and Jesus would be Lord. And Jesus, we pray for those of us that are longing to know you, not just in discipline, but Jesus, to know you with a love relationship that transcends every other relationship where you and you alone are the most important one in our reality. That Jesus, you would strengthen every single one of us as the enemy moves in and we make steps forward into the wideness of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we would be alerted to the sabotaging techniques of the evil one. And that, Lord, you would give us strength and wisdom, your wisdom, to say, no, I will stand in the gap, Jesus, and I resist the enemy. Lord, we pray that, Jesus, you would lift up from these these from among us today women that say yes Lord I'm available I want to stand in the gap and Jesus we can build a hedge one and another and another and another until all that the enemy intends to do to wipe out our nation our families, our homes our counties, our cities our schools that God there can be some women that say no enough is enough Jesus has called me to make a difference, first in loving him and then being available for his Holy Spirit to use in any way he sits fit. Now, Lord, we ask now that you might come, you might draw our hearts to yourself, and that, Lord, you might make us women willing to pay the price to walk with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.